Hello and greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us and we're so glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. The primary message of the New Testament is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, his, his lordship, and the fact he's going to return soon in judgment. We can see this in Luke, Acts, 1 Corinthians, and many other places. But it's hard for us to promote the gospel without giving some due to those who first told us about the gospel, those people who saw Jesus in life and who have testified as witnesses of his resurrection, particularly the twelve apostles. Jesus specifically chose these men to learn of his teachings, to witness his life and work. He visited them in his resurrection, and he commissioned them to receive power from the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the world. In Matthew 10, 1-4, Luke 24, 44-53, and Acts 1, and chapter 2. These are the men who had worked to turn the world upside down, and were to learn from their examples as they modeled the life of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, and verse 1. Who are these apostles? Well, they're Simon Peter, fishermen, listed first, the chief spokesman of the twelve. Then there's John, the brother of James, the sons of Zebedee. They, with Peter, the three, which closest to Jesus, and John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. And the rest of the apostles, called the, we're calling them the minor nine, not because they're insignificant, but because we learn comparatively less about them. Andrew, the brother of Peter, James, brother of John, Philip, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, perhaps, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, called Levi as well, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Thaddeus, also called Judas, and Simon the Canaanite, or Zealot, Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6. And Matthias would take Judas's place in Acts 1, 15-26. Let's spend some time today considering these minor nine apostles. And to, we get some glimpses about them. We don't hear a lot about them. We do get some glimpses, and those glimpses can help us as we seek to learn more about these men and how we can uh, more effectively promote the gospel and to appreciate what they have done uh, on our behalf. The most prominent of these nine is James, the son of Zebedee. He is the brother of John, the son of Zebedee and Salome, a fisherman of Galilee in Matthew 4, 20 and 21, and in parallel passages. He's reckoned as one of the three, as we mentioned, who were closest to Jesus. So he saw Jesus in the Transfiguration. He saw Jesus' daughter, Jairus' daughter raised, excuse me. And he asked privately uh, about the, the structure of the temple and brought closer to Gethsemane with Peter and John in Matthew 17, Mark 13, 14, and Luke 8. He is continually paired with John, his brother, as the sons of Zebedee, the Boanerges, the sons of Thunder in Mark 3.17. And he asked for fire to come down on the Samaritans in Luke 9, and to be at Jesus' left and right hand in Matthew chapter 20, and in Mark chapter 10. Interestingly, the only time that James, son of Zebedee, is noted individually is in terms of his death. He's the only apostle whose death is explicitly and fully recorded in scripture. He is killed by the sword uh, by Herod Agrippa I in around the year 44 in Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. We also learn some things about Andrew and Philip. They're men of Bethsaida in Galilee in John chapter 1 and verse 44. 
Andrew is a brother of Simon Peter, and a fisherman with him. He was formerly a disciple of John the Baptist, and in John chapter 1, verses 40 and 42, when John pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God, Andrew went to follow him. The first thing he did was to call Peter to, see, to Simon, to say, hey, my, his brother, uh, this, is, this is the one. And uh, that is when, in John's Gospel, Simon receives the name Peter. Jesus then goes on in chapter 1 of John to call Philip just before he goes back to Galilee. And Philip immediately goes to his friend Nathaniel and says that he has found the one who is spoken of in the prophets, the Messiah, and uh, to come and see him in John 1, 43-48. Now both Andrew and Philip are going to have cameo moments where they're the ones who speak or say something to Jesus. In John chapter 6, first John, John, sorry, Jesus asks Philip to get bread for the crowd. How We need to get bread for this crowd. And Philip exclaimed that 200 denarii would not even provide enough bread for such a crowd. And then he turns to, and Andrew says that, Jesus, that this boy has five barley loaves and two fish. What are those for such a great multitude of people? And of course, Jesus is going to bless the bread and and fish, and it will be enough for all, and then some. In John 12, 20-22, some Greeks wanted to see Jesus, and they first spoke to Philip, who then told Andrew. And both Andrew and Philip will go to tell Jesus about it. In John 14, 8 and 9, Philip tells Jesus, Well, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus then asked him, Have I not been with you so long, Philip, and yet you still do not understand? that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now it's possible that the constant pairing of Andrew and Philip in John's Gospel indicates that they frequently work together at this time, and would continue to do so perhaps afterward, just like Peter and John. Um, when it comes to Nathaniel, whom Philip brought to see Jesus, we he's only mentioned in John, and of course John doesn't mention Bartholomew, uh, Bartholomew is often mentioned near or paired with Philip in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6. That's why most uh, pair him with, uh, most consider Bartholomew and Nathaniel to be the same person. Uh, according to John 21 and verse 2, Nathaniel is from Canaan and Galilee. And if uh, his name Bartholomew is his main name among the Jews, he may be a farmer or, or related to farmers. Bartholomew is Bartolma, son of the Furrows. Uh, he's most famous for asking, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When Philip tells him that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth in Galilee. And thus, John's in John 1, verse 47, there's this funny story. Where uh, when Nathaniel said that and come, came over to see Jesus, Jesus then says uh, that, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, Well, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, he will see, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The other time he's mentioned is in chapter 21, where he is with Peter, James, and John, and Thomas in Galilee, and they go out and fish. Uh, and that's when they see another time, another time they see Jesus. 
They may give some indication also that Bartholomew may have been involved somewhat in the fishing business. Thomas is the next disciple listed, apostle listed. He's also known as Thomas Didymus. Didymus means the twin in John 11, 16, 20, 24, and 21, verse 2. He's probably a Galilean. This emphasis by John, always calling him Didymus, shows he is famous for having a twin. As we saw, he's with Peter, James, John, and Nathaniel, and go fish in Galilee. In John 11, verse 16, he has this uh, speaking role, uh, where when John, when Jesus decides he's going back to Judea because Lazarus is sleeping and he needs to be woken up, and the disciples are convinced that nothing but doom awaits him in Judea, it's Thomas says, let us go and die with him, which is an offhand comment, meant deadly seriously, would be more true than he would realize, but not in the way that he thought of it. In John 14 and verse 5, he, he, he has a very insightful question when Jesus tells him that uh, they, know, they know the way that uh, he is going, and they're supposed to follow him, and John says, well, we don't know the way you're going, so how can we know that way that we should follow you? And that will ultimately lead to Philip's question, to show us the Father, and it's enough for us. But all these things are not really how we know Thomas. Thomas is known forevermore as Doubting Thomas because of John 20, 24-29. Apparently, according to John's Gospel, when Jesus appeared to the uh, ten disciples, uh, Thomas is not there. And so that he hears all these reports about Jesus' resurrection. And so Thomas declares, Until, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so a few days later, they're all together again, and this time Thomas is there, and Jesus appears. And he encourages Thomas to actually do that, to put his finger, and to see his hands, to uh, put out his hand, and place it in his side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And text never actually says he touches it, he just falls. He just answers, my Lord and my God. And so he makes the first thus confession of Jesus. And uh, Jesus tells him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, he's normally considered an object lesson about trusting Jesus. But uh, it's a very important witness. It shows us that his disciples are not gullible, they don't, that they don't automatically accept the, the, the claims made about the resurrection, that Thomas had to have evidence, and the evidence was given to him. And they wanted reasonable assurance and confidence that what they felt like they were experiencing was actually what they were experiencing. Uh, and so we have to ask the question, is Jesus really abrading Thomas here? Or is he providing greater assurance for those who were later would not have the opportunity to see the things that Thomas was able to see and yet still believe in Jesus? The next apostle is Matthew, also called Levi. He's called both in Mark and Luke, but he's only called Matthew in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5, and Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1. The latter one are just a bunch of lists. In Mark 2 and verse 15, he's called a son of Alphaeus, and that means he might be related to James, the son of Alphaeus. Although it's interesting that none of the evangelists ever tell us there's a family connection there. He is a publican, or a tax collector, and reckoned as one of the most sinful class of Israelites because they're working for the oppressive Roman or Herodic government, Herodian government, 
and whatever living they're making is based on what they can extract from the people above and beyond uh, what Herod or Caesar is demanding. Matthew is specifically a toll collector, we're told in Mark 2, 14, Luke 5, 27, and he's assessing taxes on those traveling on the Sea of Galilee or on caravan routes. He's called by Jesus from the toll booth, and he follows immediately. And not only that, we're told that he invites his fellow tax collectors, and uh, it seems assumed in Matthew 9, it's said very explicitly in Mark 2 and Luke 5, that he invites all of his friends, his tax collector friends, and it's the reason the Pharisees will say, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners, and that leads to Jesus' famous question, who, who's in need of physician, those who are sick or those who are ill? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, by traditional accounts, this same Matthew Levi is the author of the Gospel of Matthew. And Papi- uh, Eusebius preserves Papias' uh, tradition about it, and Irenaeus says the same as well. Now, when it comes to the other four apostles, we know very little beyond their names. James, son of Alphaeus, like we said, is possibly related to Matthew. He's sometimes identified as the James the Less of Mark 15:40, and thus, if that's the case, his mother would be the Mary, who's a companion of the mother of Jesus, in as seen there. Uh, Thaddeus, which means courageous heart, is also called Judas, the son of James, which is probably his actual name. He's called Thaddeus, but his name is probably Judas. Um, in John 14:22, he has a very astute question. It asks how Jesus is going to manifest himself to his disciples without showing himself to the world. Simon is known as a Canaanian, or zealot, Matthew 10, Luke 6. Uh, some people want a Canaanian to refer to Cain of Galilee, but Canaanian in Aramaic means zealot, and so it would be consistent with the use in Luke. And therefore, he's probably of the zealot party. Uh, those who are passionately devoted to fomenting rebellion, leading to the overthrow of the Roman oppressors, as Josephus mentions in his book of Antiquities. And that is why we talk about those who follow Jesus, or a bunch of fishermen, tax collector, and a political insurrectionist. That's what Simon the Zealot would have been. Matthias, a point to take the place of Jesus Iscariot, is not otherwise mentioned or known. Uh, based upon Peter's testimony, it seems he's a disciple who followed Jesus from his baptism, and saw him in his resurrection. Now that's what we know about the men, these men from the pages of Scripture. In tradition, uh, we, there's all kinds of stories that circulate about what these men eventually do. We do know in Scripture that the apostles were together in the upper room in Jesus' ascension before, and before Pentecost in Acts 1. The apostles remained in Jerusalem as the other church is founded and remains together until at least the time of the Jerusalem conference, except, of course, the fact that James is killed by Herod. So in Acts 12 by 44, there's now only 11 apostles. And whenever that Jerusalem conference is, sometime in the uh, from that range to 50 or so, uh, they're in Jerusalem. Now after the Jerusalem conference, it seems that they go their separate ways. And after that point, in chapter 15 of Acts, we have uh, the exploits of Peter, John, and Paul traced afterward to some degree. Now, the other nine are not seen explicitly in Scripture, in some ways may be lost to history, but there are traditions that developed about where these apostles went, preached the gospel, met their end in martyrdom. Now, it's important to keep in mind that there is a lot of reason why you'd want to claim that. You'd want to claim that some apostle came and uh, preached to your people, because that's going to give a lot of credibility to 
of that group of people. So we'll probably have to take a lot of these traditions with a grain of salt. Uh, Andrew is said to have gone to Scythia to preach by origin. Um, and by, according to Hippolytus of Basil Seleucia, he went to Thrace in northern Greece. And there's a book called The Acts of Andrew. It's an apocryphal book, and it says that he was martyred in Patras in Greece, crucified on an X-shaped cross, lest he die as his lord. Uh, seems to be a consistent pattern, a very possibility. And all of that area, Scythia, and areas of Thrace and northern Greece would all be part of the Balkans uh, and surrounding the Black Sea area. Again, did he for certain? We can't know, but that's the tradition about it. According to the apocryphal Acts of Philip, Philip preaches in Greece, Phrygia, and Syria, uh, believed to be either crucified upside down, and he claimed to be preaching as he's being crucified upside down, or beheaded in Herapolis. Bartholomew Nathaniel is said to have preached in India, and that he left a copy of Matthew's Gospel there, Eusebius declares. Others claim he preached in Ethiopia, Mesopotamia, Parthia, Lycaonia, and Armenia. Um, the popular tradition Armenia says he was flayed alive and crucified by uh, the brother of this king because uh, the king had converted by the word of uh, Bartholomew. Again, the fact that there's such a wide range uh, means that there's a, a lot of dispute there. Uh, Origen claims also that Thomas preached among the Parthians, but Thomas is best known as the Apostle to India. According to Ephraim, he was martyred in India and his body was brought back to Edessa in Syria. That seems to be somewhat robust. Matthew is said to have preached to the Jews of Judea. Uh, other countries are mentioned, but there's not a lot of agreement in ancient sources. Uh, his martyrdom is assumed, although there was a Gnostic guy who, who uh, challenged it. James, son of Alphaeus, was said to have preached and been executed in Egypt. Thaddeus is said to have preached in Greater Israel, Idumea, Libya, Mesopotamia, possibly Syria. Many associate him with the Jude who wrote the letter in the New Testament, even though most believe that Jude is the brother of the Lord, a different Jude. Judas, a very popular name in the ancient uh, Israelite world, being Judah, the you know, patriarch of m most of the, uh, the tribal origin of most of the uh, is uh, Israelites at the time. Um, so there's a lot of confusion there. Simon the Canaanian or Zealot is associated often with Thaddeus. And there's a legend that both end up being martyred in Beirut. He preaches in Egypt before meeting up with Thaddeus in Persia, Armenia, or Lebanon, according to some stories. There's a lot of other traditions that say he went anywhere from Ethiopia to Persia, Britain, Armenia, crucified or sawn in two. So we get a lot of different stories. And again, that leads to a lot of questions. And the same true about Matthias. Uh, Greeks claimed that he went to Cappadocia. Uh, Nicephorus and the Apocryphal Acts of Matthew and Matthias claim he preached in Judea, and then in areas of Georgia by the Black Sea. Some claim he died in Sebastopolis or stoned by the Jews. But Hippolytus says he died of old age in Jerusalem. Uh, again, a lot of contradictory accounts there, so it's hard to know if there's anything we could even take remotely seriously. Um, but it's possible, and even perhaps likely, that at least some of those traditions have some grain of truth. And they do show that there was this confidence that the apostles did do what Jesus said they were going to do in Acts 1 and verse 8. And that what Paul says in Colossians 1 and verse 6, that the gospel had been proclaimed the whole world, was true. And it wasn't just the work of, of, of early Christians, but the apostles themselves. So what can we learn from these nine apostles? 
well, they're men from very different walks of life. They're everything from a tax collector whose work supports the cause of the state to the zealot who wants to undermine the state. They leave everything to follow Jesus and to learn about him. We see their eagerness to direct their family and friends to Jesus. I mean, when Andrew learns from John that Jesus is the Lamb of God, what's his first thought? I need to tell Simon about this. When Philip is called, his first impulse is to go tell Nathaniel to come and to see. When Matthew is called, he calls all of his friends together to learn and to experience the word of life in Jesus. In John 1, Mark, Matthew 9, and so on. They, and so that's an important thing that we learn from them. We also can perceive their desire for all to hear the gospel of Christ through the uh, traditions that they, where they preached and where they bore witness to Jesus in Acts 1 and verse 8. And from Thomas we can see a disposition that wants a confirmation of reports and the willingness that Jesus had to subject himself to such a confirmation. That's because doubting Thomas gets a lot of bad press. He, he questioned, that's certainly true, but when he saw, he accepted what he saw. And he's the first to make the grand confession, my Lord and my God. And as with Thomas, so with us. We may not get the chance to see Jesus in the flesh the way Thomas did, but we have the record of Thomas's witness. We have the record of John's witness, Peter's witness, Paul's witness. Uh, are we going to trust it or are we going to turn aside from it? We can get lost in doubt quickly, especially if when, when the argument is made and the claims are made that are worthy of being accepted, but uh, one decides to persist in doubt. But acting as if doubt is always and automatically wrong doesn't really respect what happens with Thomas in, Acts, in John chapter 20. Because Jesus allows him to be confirmed. And Jesus does not abrade him for wanting that confirmation. And above all, we learn from these nine apostles that a lot has done the kingdom in ways that don't leave preserved notoriety. I mean, why are we calling them the minor nine after all? They may not like that. They may not want to be referred to as such. But we're saying that because just like the we talk about the minor prophets, it's not as if all of a sudden that Joel or Nahum don't have the same standing as Isaiah. The difference in those terms are involving the amount and substance that we have of their writings. Uh, and the same is true in terms of understanding of character. Um... Does this mean that they're insignificant or less important than Peter, John, and Judas Iscariot? No, not at all. It just means that we don't really know right now as much as we would perhaps like. Now, in the resurrection, we might have a chance to speak with these apostles and hear all about the stories and to learn a lot about how they worked individually to promote the gospel. But it's very important for us to realize that just because we don't know exactly where Bartholomew went, or to whom Philip preached, uh, or where Matthias might have gone, doesn't mean that they didn't do anything. It just means that their work was not made known in Scripture. It doesn't make it any less meaningful or important than what Peter and Paul did that happened to be recorded in Scripture. And that's an important lesson for us to learn, because a lot of Christians seem to see that there are a few who get a lot of notoriety, a lot more press. And it's easy to think that if you aren't one of the people known for this or that, that you um, are less important. But as 1 Corinthians 12, 12-28 makes it very clear, all the parts of the body are to be honored and respected, and every single part has its place. We do well to remember that Jesus personally selected each of these men, 
Each of these men lived their lives in his service. Each of these men will receive glory and honor in the resurrection because the kingdom of God was built on their proclamation, each and every one of them. And therefore we do well to honor the memory of these apostles. So to live according to the will of God in Christ is made known in Scripture. Yeah, I'm glad that you've joined us. We hope that this has been beneficial. If you'd like to talk more about these apostles or about other apostles or about Christianity or some other any other subject, there's any way that we can be of service. Maybe you just need a prayer request. Maybe you just need somebody to talk to. Yeah, please let me know. Please contact me at deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you're interested in learning more about the Venture to Christ, you're coming to check us out. You can find out more about us online at venturechurchofchrist.org. We're also on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.